Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. We have a lot to talk about today. First of all, I want to get into this question of, is the Supreme Court really and truly above the law? We'll get back to that in just a moment. Also, Republicans are whining that Biden might actually reduce inflation. Seriously, we'll get to that. And we've got a crazy alert. Trump kept asking if China was shooting us with a hurricane gun. The hits just keep on coming. And also, Professor Richard Wolf, our friend, the professor of economics, dropping by. Why is inflation being blamed on Biden? And also, how are the murders, bombings, and arson acts committed by the uh, anti-abortion people pro-life? How is that pro-life? We're going to get into that. My colleague, Michelangelo Signorelli of uh, SiriusXM, uh, his program follows mine on that network. After women's rights, marriage equality, you know, the Supreme Court is poised, it appears, to take down women's rights. I mean, if you don't have bodily autonomy, you have no freedoms. Even property rights are premised on bodily autonomy. So if, we're gonna t- if the Supreme Court is going to take this down, what's next? Is it LGBTQ rights? We'll talk with Michelangelo about that. But I want to start out with this question about the Supreme Court. What kind of power does the Supreme Court actually have? And is is the Supreme Court really and truly above the law? The, The New York Times recently documented how Clarence Thomas had been sucking up to a uh, a real estate billionaire, a guy by the name of Trammell Crow, actually Harlan Crow. His father was Trammell Crow of the famous Trammell Crow real estate industry. Um, So Harlan, you know, inherited millions, uh, maybe billions, I'm not sure, uh, but a lot of money from his daddy. And uh, he gave Jenny Thomas a half a million bucks and said, here, go start a political organization, you know, your own little tea party kind of thing. And he gave Clarence Thomas Frederick Douglass's Bible, and he's flown them all around the country. And and he's one of many people who have showered literally millions of dollars in gifts and emoluments on conservative members of the Supreme Court. Now, I don't know of any parallel uh, uh, thing that is happening with the progressive or liberal members of the court, but the conservative members of the court have been on the take for a long, long time. Thomas has been among the worst, but Scalia used to do the same thing. 
And every time we talk about, hey, let's put a code of ethics on the Supreme Court, somebody pops up and says, the Supreme Court has, you know, ultimate power that you can't you can't do that. Well, as you know, those of you who are longtime listeners to this program, I have been arguing for years. In fact, I wrote a book about this called The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. I've been arguing for years that Congress has the power to both regulate the Supreme Court and to create exceptions with regard to the things on which the Supreme Court can rule. It's right there in the Constitution, Article 3, Section 2. And, you know, which literally says that Congress may create exceptions and that the Supreme Court shall operate under regulations defined by Congress. Congress, Article 1, is the first among equals of our governmental agencies. So, frankly, you know, there, there is an effort now. Pramila Jayapal and Elizabeth Warren just put forward legislation. Actually, they did it two years ago, too, and they just uh, revived it. Um, that would essentially regulate the Supreme Court. It would impose a code of ethics on the court. It would also roll back some of the provisions of Citizens United, which, again, the court has asserted, you know, if, if we're talking about a constitutional issue, you can't overturn us without a constitutional amendment. Here's how it works. The court does two things, basically, the Supreme Court. One is they're the last, the final court of appeals, right? Donald Trump doesn't want to turn over his papers to Congress. And so Congress sues at the Supreme Court because it's a battle between the legislative branch and the executive branch. The Supreme Court says, Donald, you got to turn over the papers. And so, you know, <laughs> well, that's a whole nother story. Uh, but uh, that's, that's basically the court, the Supreme Court being the final court of appeals, which is one of the functions, actually it's the only function for the Supreme Court that is defined in the Constitution. That's it. But in 1803, you know, a little short of 20 years after the Constitution was ratified, well, more like 14 years after the Constitution was ratified. It was ratified in 1789. Um, in 1803, in a case called Marbury versus Madison, the Supreme Court said, you know, we can decide what the Constitution says. In other words, what's constitutional and what's not constitutional. And then based on our assumptions about that, we can, we can change the rules. We can change the law. We can say, you know, this law that you guys just passed in Congress, we don't think it's constitutional, so we're going to strike it down. Or, you know, this law that you passed in Congress, we don't think part of it is constitutional, so we're going to essentially rewrite it for you. Now, neither of those things are in the Constitution. And when the court said this in 1803, the president at the time was Thomas Jefferson, and he went nuts. He said, under, you know, under this, under this uh, understanding of the court, the, the Constitution itself has become a thing of wax to be molded in the hands of the judiciary. So I've been saying for years that, you know, Congress has this power. Now, it, ha it has not used that power. It's tried to use that power. There have been a number of times. Most of them were in the 1980s during the Reagan administration. And I'll get to that in just a second. But Congress has never actually passed a law saying we are defying the Supreme Court and we're doing so because we're asserting our power under the Constitution. Every time they've overturned the Supreme Court, they've done it by amending the U.S. Constitution. You know, overturning, for example, um, a Dred Scott 
They overturned Dred Scott by passing the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution. So they overturned their own decision. Overturning Plessy versus Ferguson, they did that in 1954 with Brown versus Board. They, overturned, they overruled themselves. So can the court you know, go beyond that? Is that even possible? Well, I think so, and apparently so does John Roberts. Now, I've talked with you about this on this program over the years, but I've never actually published it in a piece that you can just read online. It's in my book, The, the Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. But, but uh, today, I, I went through uh, Robert's arguments. This was 1981. He had been hired by Ronald Reagan to find a way to overturn Roe v. Wade and Brown v. Board without passing a constitutional amendment, because they knew that they didn't have the two-thirds vote in Congress, or three-quarters of the states for that matter, to pass a constitutional amendment to make abortion illegal. Or to make, uh, you know, to, to end integration of schools and go back to segregated public schools, racially segregated schools. So the question that Reagan had is, is there a way to do this? And John Roberts concluded that, yes, there is. It would change the power dynamic between the court and Congress forever, which is almost certainly why Congress has never done this. But Republicans were willing to do this in the 80s, and they tried more than 20 times. They just never passed the legislation. You know, it was always filibustered by Democrats and things like that. And again, you know, doing this would be nearly impossible. It would be impossible given the current makeup of Congress. But I want to put this argument on the table because I think it's really important to know that A, Democrats have the ability to do this too. And B, if you look at what happened in the 1980s when there were over 30 pieces of legislation proposed that included court stripping provisions, that included provisions where Congress said, we're going to change things that you have said, we're going to go back to what you said was unconstitutional, and you can't stop us because of the Constitution, because of Article 3, Section 2. What I'm telling you is Republicans, if Democrats don't do this, eventually when things get really, really tight, I mean, you get, you know, President uh, Trump again, frankly, or President DeSantis, what are you going to see? You're going to see the Republican Party using this power that they debated using back in the 1980s. They tried to use in the 1980s. They just didn't have enough of a majority to pull it off. So you can read the whole thing, and it's long, and there's a lot of detail in it, you know, kind of wonk alert, but I think you'll find it fascinating. It's over at HartmanReport.com. It's titled, Is the Supreme Court Seriously Above the Law? So I just retweeted, for those of you who want to see what I'm talking about here, a tweet from D.C. from the protest outside Alito's home. And uh, interestingly, I mentioned yesterday that there were rumors that Alito had moved to a secure location or an undisclosed location. Uh, it turns out that that was just a, a lie. It was made up by some guy on the right that got promoted through the right wing sphere and made its way to Drudge. And it was just a lie. But so they're protesting out in front of his house and the neighbors, literally his neighbors, his next door neighbors came out with trays, nice silver trays, right? Fancy. I mean, it's an upscale neighborhood, right? Nice, fancy trays of cheese and crackers and, you know, nice little goblets of wine. 
glasses of wine. They're, the neighbors are serving wine and cheese to the protesters in front of Alito's house. Now, on the right, it's all about, oh, my God, there's going to be violence. And, yeah, there was one um, anti-abortion or pro, uh, pro-choice, uh, or, excuse me, one pro-life anti-abortion place that was apparent in Missouri, as I recall, that was apparently Molotov cocktailed, you know, that was bombed. And somebody left a message, you know, if women aren't safe, nobody's safe or you're not safe. We don't know who did that. We don't know if it was militant women or lefties or just, or some right-wing guy who was trying to set up some kind of provocation. Hey, let's have some violence, right? I mean, we, these kind of problems happen all over the country where you know, people are just trying to provoke violence. But generally speaking, right-wing protesters are the ones who are out marching around with guns and running people over with cars like Heather Heyer and killing protesters like Kyle Rotten Rittenhouse did. That's the right-wing protesters. That's the anti-abortion, anti-woman, anti-bodily autonomy folks. The, the, the true pro-life protesters, the ones who, who are respecting a woman's life and right to choose and the life of born children, those people tend to serve wine and cheese and, you know, speak politely. Or maybe they're not speaking so politely right now, but, you know, behave well. But, you know, let's look at what the anti-abortion people have been doing over the last 30 years. We have had murders. We have had bombings. We have had arson. We've had death threats. We've had kidnappings. We've had assaults. We've had uh, entire nationwide campaigns of harassing phone calls, stalkings, vandalism. Just between 1977 and 2015, which was seven years ago, but just between 1977 and 2015, there were 7,200 reported acts of violence at abortion providers. Those are the ones that were reported to the police. The vast majority of these never get reported. This included 42 bombings, 185 arson attacks, thousands of death threats, bioterrorism threats, physical assaults, more than 234,300 acts of disruption, including bomb threats, hate mail, and harassing calls. And by the way, that's just up until 2015. The numbers since 2015 have gone up in most of these categories. And part of the problem is this McMullen v. Coakley decision that the Supreme Court did Back in the day, the state of Massachusetts passed a law designating a 35-foot buffer zone around abortion clinics in Massachusetts. And in McMullen v. Coakley, the Supreme Court ruled that that buffer zone, that 35-foot buffer zone around abortion clinics and also the homes of people who worked in abortion clinics was unconstitutional because it prevented people from exercising their First Amendment right to 
peaceably assemble and petition the government for redress of grievance and to have the right of free speech. But today, Congress is acting lickety-split. Let's, let's get some Secret Service protection over to these Supreme Court justices. Right. There have been 11 murders, 41 bombings, and 175 arson at attacks in that, in that period of time. And literally one empty pro-life office has been uh, bombed or firebombed or, uh, you know, Molotov cocktailed. That's like one half of 1% or less of the violence around this abortion issue. And yet these snowflakes on the right have their panties in a wad. They are just hysterical, clutching their pearls. Uh, you pick your cliche. Oh my God, these lefties, they're violent. They're threatening Alito. They're threatening beer bong. Jeff Tiedrich had a, a quote uh, or a, a tweet yesterday. He said uh, uh, words to the effect of, I don't have it in front of me, I'm sorry, but it was words to the effect of um, how inconsiderate it was of those protesters to show up at Brett Kavanaugh's house on a Sunday morning and make a lot of noise. Don't you know this guy has a terrible hangover on Sunday mornings? And now we've got this upcoming national march. This will be this Saturday, May 14th. The uh, Women's March, bans off our bodies is the phrase. Move on and NARAL and a whole bunch of organizations are getting together on this. And so, uh, you know, you may want to check into that, and look into that, see what's going on. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
Ken in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. Hey, Ken, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching Free Speech. Good morning, Tom. I want to start with saying I think you're a gift to, to the United States of America. You're very talented. You know your history. You know a lot of insight into things. Thank you. I had a question to ask about when Biden's rally is going to be in Washington, D.C. He needs to talk to his followers and tell them the judicial system's in peril. We all need to walk down to the judicial uh, house and uh, fight. Yeah, the Supreme Court, though, put up an eight-foot unscalable barrier around itself, which has forced people to the homes of Supreme Court justices. And And now we've got a bunch of whiny Democrats like Paul Begala going, oh, you shouldn't do that. And now that's become the issue, right? All the Republicans are talking about, you know, terrorism by Democrats. Couldn't we tape American flags to three-quarter inch pipes, go down there and tear that barrier down and kill like five or six cops, take a ramming, uh, a a battering ram, break down the front door, scale a As as happened on January 6th, in other words. Yes, sir. Yeah, no, it I get be, it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be an insurrection. It would be a judicial uh, discord. No, it would be a normal tourist day in the capital. Yeah, yeah, the, the tourist trip. Another tourist trip is coming through town. Antifa could show up with a bunch of guns. What else could we do? Uh, we could build a gallow outside, hang a couple of nooses on it, and start chanting, hang Amy Barrett. You know, Ken, I I get the absurdity of what you're pointing out, and I think that what's so shocking about it, and I I don't know if you caught this, I believe it was on Chris Hayes' show, it might have been Rachel Maddow's show, they both had guest hosts, but they played side-by-side Fox News coverage of January 6th, where they're saying, oh, it's not a big deal, it's a peaceful protest, and then coverage of, you know, a, a couple of dozen people standing outside Kavanaugh's house with signs, not even on his lawn, not threatening right. him. I saw, I and saw, they said, this is a that. terror, this is terrorism. And it's right, like, right. what universe they do these all, people they live in? All get, they should all get 20 years for a peaceful protest. Right. Yeah, they were calling that an insurrection. Right. And, and, I, and if I Trump guess, was in power, the point, they'd be shooting them in the legs. Right. Yeah. That's something else we could do is have Biden call the defense and drop paratroopers in the streets and shoot anybody that tries to stop us. No, I I have no intention of doing any of this. I'm just exercising my First Amendment of free speech. And I would like that message to get across to the Republicans of how ridiculous Trump and their party have been. Yeah. And, And that pretty much sums up everything that I wanted to talk to you about today, Tom. If there's anything else you'd like to say, I'd sit and listen. Otherwise, I'll let you go. No, that's fine, Ken. I I think that your point that, you know, Republican hypocrisy, A, knows no bounds, B, is daily on public display, and C, the media seems to just shrug, is all very well said. Ken, thank you for the call, and thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Stick around. There's some great stuff over on Substack, and and one of the newsletters that I subscribe to is that of my colleague, the guy whose show follows mine here on SiriusXM Progress, Michelangelo Signorelli. It's called the Signorelli Report, S-I-G-N-O-R-I-L-E. It's signorelli.substack.com is the website. 
S-I-G-N-O-R-I-L-E is his Twitter handle. So uh, all the ways that you can find his work, in addition, if you're listening to SiriusXM, just hang on for another hour. Michelangelo, welcome back to the program. Your newsletter yesterday about how this uh, Roe v. Wade decision is just the beginning was brilliant. You want to elaborate on that? Thank you, first of all, for having me on, Tom, and for the great comment on the newsletter. Yeah, you know, we are seeing and this leak from the Supreme Court and Alito's draft. It, it was like a roadmap for what they plan to do next, or at least what he would like to do next. And it mirrored very much his arguments in his dissent in the Obergefell marriage equality case. He used the same arguments about, you know, this not being rooted in history and uh, all of that stuff uh, that he did about abortion. What he did in this um, draft leak, however, that is very alarming is, yes, he gave the caveat that we don't mean to, you know, imply that this ruling affects any other ruling. But, you know, they always throw that in. Uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't apply. It just means they didn't mean it right now. <laughs> and, right. Uh, you know, but what he did was he, he separated out some other rulings that Roe has relied on and that came after Roe. And so he, he, he separated, he talked about uh, interracial marriage. He talked about, you know, having the right to um, educate your children the way that you want, all of these issues that have to do with family and privacy. And he talked about how those became, those were in place before Roe, and Roe relied on those. And he was much more clear that Roe is very different from those. But then he said, you know, there's a, he, he mentioned this other group that came after Roe and relied on Roe, and that Casey. included uh, sodomy laws. Well, no, it included oh. the, the sodomy ban, the, when the Supreme Court overturned sodomy bans, and when the Supreme Court um, codified marriage equality. And those, it's clear, he's setting up to uh, really follow in the same uh, way as this ruling. I mean, he could go for all the others, but those two, it's it's very clear from the legal scholars I've read and, and those I've interviewed on, on my show, um, they are really setting up to give marriage equality back to the states as well, if they can. I agree. I, I absolutely agree. And, and maybe even reversing Lawrence v. v. Texas, you know, and again, making it illegal to have gay sex or even beyond that. I mean, he, in some states, it was illegal for, for straight married couples to have certain types of sex, to have sex in certain positions. Right. You know, I mean, uh, it, was, it was just, <laughs> which is just nuts when you think about it. But, but you know, the, the right to have sex in your own home with whoever you choose, you know, within, the, within reasonable bounds um, is, is essential to privacy. The right to, to choose who you're going to fall in love with is essential and, and, and have that you know, codified by law is essential to privacy. The right to make decisions about your own body if you're a woman who, who, uh, or a, a person who is um, you know, encountering pregnancy is, is essential. I see them also coming after um, uh, Griswold v. Connecticut, 1965 decision. In, right. in 1965 in Connecticut, a, married a straight married couple in their home could go to prison for having a condom. And the Supreme Court said, no, nah, you have some privacy in your own bedroom. Sorry. Uh, now, they didn't legalize having condoms for unmarried couples. That happened in 1972. 
Um, but, but, but we've got a half a dozen Republicans who have now come out and said, yeah, you know, Griswold v. Connecticut was wrongly decided, too, in 1965, which is just setting up the whole, you know, I mean, this is like the friggin' Taliban, Michelangelo. Oh, yeah. And George P. Bush, who, of course, is of the Bush dynasty and is running for attorney general in Texas uh, and has become a, a total Trumpist, he said at a speech just a few weeks ago, even before this ruling, we should have uh, the states being allowed to make decisions about uh, life and about marriage. So, so it's clear that they're going in that direction. And you know, during this week of, of enormous upheaval uh, last week when that draft was leaked, um, what didn't get a lot of attention was Republicans in the Congress were pushing uh, more extreme measures against uh, LGBT people. Uh, one Republican in the House uh, introduced a national don't say gay bill modeled on what DeSantis did in Florida, which would you know, discriminate against children and teachers and others nationally, not allowing them to speak about who they are. And then five Republicans in the Senate wrote a letter to the uh, parental guidance, uh, the, 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 parent, the television parental guidance board, uh, asking that uh, broadcasters put warning labels on anything on television that has uh, content related to LGBTQ people. I mean, this is all a preview of what they'll be doing if they win back any chamber of Congress and, and, and what hearings they'll be having. But this is where they're going. And it was interesting, the president said a few days ago, I thought it was very prescient when he said, what are they going to do next? Uh, separate out LGBT students from other students in classrooms? What, what comes next? Se you know, segregation of, of, of gay people from uh, heterosexual people? Yeah, well, it wouldn't surprise me. The thing that astonishes me about all this is, I, I, not, not, I hope this doesn't sound like a shameless plug, but I just published a book on privacy. It's, it's called The Hidden History of Big Brother. And when I was researching that, I was amazed to discover that the concept of privacy was fully well-formed back in 1787 when the Constitution was written. Um, they just didn't call it privacy. And the reason why they didn't call it privacy was because the word privacy in 1787 usually was used in the context of either sexual intercourse or using the toilet, using the bathroom. You, we had outhouses back then, and people would say, I need a moment of privacy. And what did we call those outhouses? We called them the privies, the place where you went for privacy. And so the founders thought it would be pretty absurd to include toilet functions in the Constitution. That's the only reason why the word privacy isn't in the Constitution. We didn't start using the word privacy in its modern meaning until the late 1800s. And after all these guys were long dead. But I think, you know, the First Amendment is you have the right to speak and the right not to speak. That's a right of privacy. The Third Amendment, you don't have to put soldiers in your home. That's a right to privacy, you know, the protection of your home. The Fourth Amendment, you, you have the right to security, which was their word for privacy back then, in your papers and effects in your home and all that sort of stuff. The Fifth Amendment, you have right. the right not to testify against yourself. And the Ninth Amendment that says that any right that we didn't define in here still reserve, you know, is still reserved to the people. It's so clear to me that this, and this was the logic that was used in Roe, was that these, uh, the, the first, third, fifth, uh, fourth, fifth, and ninth amendments all talk about privacy. They call it about the penumbra of privacy. Um, and and right. I'm seeing now, just because that one word, which meant 
go to the toilet back in 1787 isn't in the Constitution. I'm seeing all kinds of things being wiped out, particularly, you know, things that have to do with race, things that have to do with gender, things that have to do with sex. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what you're hearing from, I mean, you're, you're far more wired into the gay community than I am. What are you hearing from national organizations that are looking at this? Are they as alarmed as I am? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I want to just throw in something else. You were just talking about everything in the Constitution. Uh, the right to uh, your religious faith is a right to privacy. You, you have a privately held faith. You don't have to tell anybody what it is or you know, the government should not have a test or, or anything like that. And that's that. Ironically, that's the very thing they're using here. Right. Their religious beliefs to discriminate. But anyway, uh, yes, every uh, major uh, group uh, is very alarmed and you um, you know, all of the LGBT uh, leaders and groups are uh, aligning with the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, pro-choice groups in speaking out against this and really do believe that there could be uh, a full-on assault in so many ways. But, you know, th there are still people who say things like, I've seen some legal scholars saying, well, you know, the issue of marriage equality, you've got so many couples that are married. How can how can they undo that? At some point, you know, uh, a right is so, uh, you, you know, anchored within the culture that you just can't take it away. Hey, and I say back plus to them, what, what, right, exactly, exactly. Uh, what about a woman's right to choose, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, exactly. They're taking that away. And like I said, you know, Homer Plessy, I mean, the the, the Civil War was uh, two generations earlier, almost an identical amount of time. It's uh, Forgive me for interrupting you, Michael. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, no, not at all. Not bad, at all. Bad talk I think, I think this, is, go ahead. this is organizing people and energizing people, and they will be fighting hard. I, I think the, the GOP picked a fight here that we are really going to now hit back hard on them with. Right. And we're going to have to finish this fight. Michelangelo Signorelli, the great Michelangelo, right here on Sirius XM Progress, Channel 127, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Michelangelo, thanks for dropping by. Oh, as always, thank you, Tom. Good talking with you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And check out the Signorelli Report over on, uh, on Substack, signorelli.substack.com. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're going to talk with Professor Wolf about inflation in greater depth, but, you know, it's a big deal. And uh, President Biden is giving speeches about it. And there is a, an effort to do something about this. And, and in fact, I mean, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that the Biden administration is looking at. The, the causes of inflation are multiple. You've got recovering from the COVID epidemic. You've got the fact that Saudi Arabia refuses to increase oil production because they want Republicans in the White House at the same, after giving Jared Kushner $2 billion and uh, Steve Mnuchin a billion dollars at the same time that Russia, uh, their oil production is largely off the market, at least the, the international markets that we play in. They are selling to India and China, but uh, all of that adds up to oil prices being obscenely high. And then you've got corporations that are just taking us for a ride, just gouging us. And the Biden administration is you know, looking at what can we do about this? I mean, this is a good faith effort to try to do something. Biden has already released millions, I believe it's a million barrels a day from the National Strategic Oil Reserve, which pushed down oil prices by, by $10, $15 a barrel, got them below $100 for a while there. I'm not sure what they are right now. And, and weirdly, at the same quarter that we're learning that BP had a $9 billion profit and Chevron and, and uh, you know, a bunch of the other companies, ExxonMobil, all had multi-billion dollar profits, some of the best profits they've ever had, they didn't lower their gasoline prices when the price of oil went down. Huh. Why would that be? Well, because they've got us by the neck, as a, you know, to, to clean up the metaphor. And so into this so you know biden okay number one he released the strategic petroleum reserve number two the fed is trying to induce a recession to stop inflation which as you know i think is stupid but they're they're going to try and do that and and number three the biden administration is discussing whether to temporarily suspend some of the tariffs on imported chinese goods that the that uh, trump put into place back when he was on his Jeremiah ad against China. Now, you know, I'm actually a fan of those tariffs, and I think we need more, but, you know, I'm, I'm not the guy advising the Biden administration. But, you know, I think this is another good faith effort to try to reduce inflation for American consumers, at least over the short term. And I get it. There's a political aspect to that. There's, you know, elections coming up in, what, seven months, six months, something like that. So... Mark Meadows comes out, the former chief of staff to uh, Donald Trump, and uh, he was on Newsmax yesterday, you know, the, the hardcore right-wing neo-fascist television channel, and he complained about these reports that Biden might be doing something to stop inflation. He said, this is Joe Biden's plan for inflation. Blame Rick Scott. Talk about ultra MAGA, and then ultimately what he said is, here's his plan. He's going to make Chinese goods cheaper so it'll help American people buy something at a less cost. Yeah, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, end quote from Mark Meadows. Yes, it's horrible, horrible that the president of the United States would take some temporary measures that he thought might slow down inflation. How could he consider, how could he even imagine doing something like that? Jen Psaki uh, was asked about that. Uh, she said that the decision about tariffs on Chinese goods would probably be made in the next couple of weeks. 
frankly, you know, it's, it's a tiny slice. It's just a tiny slice. But the point is that what Mark Meadows is revealing here is that Republicans don't care about the average American. Republicans don't even care about inflation unless it can be used as a political weapon against Democrats. Republicans only care about power, raw, naked power, and the wealth that it brings to elected Republican politicians and the wealth that it brings to the right-wing billionaire donors who have kept the Republican Party afloat since the 1980s. That's it. That's all they care about. And I think it's becoming increasingly obvious to Americans right across the board. Well, I should say that and making sure that women can't get abortions. Amazing stuff. It's the Tom Hartman program, the true people's media. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Back in 1981, the first year of the Reagan presidency, our one of our two senators from Oregon here, Mark Hatfield, wrote an op-ed for the Oregon Territory newspaper about the new right, about the, this whole movement that had seized the Republican Party. And in it, he called them out for escalating nuclear arms, for opposing the Equal Rights Amendment, for opposing abortion, for supporting school prayer, and for their argument that if you weren't on their side, you were not patriotic. He also goes into a long rant about how they're exploiting religion for political purposes, and he thinks it's damaging Christianity as well as America. And then finally, he says, finally, persistent threats of racism lie directly below the surface of new right ideology. And then he goes into this whole rant about that. It's really extraordinary how, you know, what is what Reagan was doing is coming back into vogue. I got a whole video about the whole thing over at TomHartman.com. Check it out. Welcome back. On the line with us is Professor Richard Wolff, the economist, co-founder of democracyatwork.info, author of numerous books. His latest, The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself, democracyatwork.info, rdwolf with two fs.com, and profwolf with two fs at Twitter. Uh, Professor Wolff, welcome back to the program. Um, I, I'm seeing, you know, inflation is the big thing. Joe Biden is, uh, President Biden is going to speak on this in the next probably the next hour or so. Excuse me, he gave a talk about it yesterday. But as far as I can tell, pretty much every nation in the world is experiencing inflation right now. It, it varies a little bit from country to country, but they all seem to be pushing somewhere more or less in the neighborhood of four to seven percent. Why is, if that's the case, why is this being blamed on Biden? What are, what are the various factors and what part do they play from the, you know, the failure of ships to leave Chinese ports because of COVID to a burst in demand as COVID goes away to the corporate monopolies no longer having serious competition to the oil companies ripping us off to the Saudis refusing to, to increase production back, you know, the, the 2.2 million barrel a day cut that they put into place that Jared Kushner negotiated in 2020. That's still there. They're refusing to raise production back to where it was. Um, you know, I think because they want Republicans to be back in the White House again. What are what are the variables that are really consequential here versus Fed policy or Biden releasing oil from the storage, you know, uh, strategic stockpile or uh, suspending for a while tariffs on Chinese goods, which now uh, I guess the Republicans are all hysterical about? Well, you know, the, the honest answer to your question is that inflations, like any other major economic event, 
are overdetermined, we say in economics. In other words, many variables come to play a role. And it's kind of a childish game to pick one of them and hype it. Usually that's scapegoating. In other words, it's convenient for certain folks to focus on what Mr. Biden did or didn't do and blame that. Look, yes, Mr. Biden's policies have a role to play here, but so do Mr. Trump's that take a while to have an effect. So do the decisions the Chinese government makes about how to handle COVID and a whole host of other items that you mentioned and that we could add to because the list is long. And so rather than get caught up in the endless effort at scapegoating somebody. Uh, the people that are out of power blame those that are in. The people that are in go blame somebody else. Uh, I think what would be really valuable, if I, can, if I can push it a little bit, is to be aware that an inflation is not a new phenomenon, that our capitalist economic system recurringly plagues us with inflations. In a way, it's the other side of bothering us with recessions and depressions. Then we have this other thing, inflations, and indeed, one often leads to the other. And what is striking to me about the discourse today, beyond blaming Biden or not, is the fact that we have in the United States in our history, developed ways of dealing with inflation that are not passive, don't let it sit there, and are not raising interest rates, which is the way these days Republicans, Democrats, Mr. Powell at the Fed seem to be the only thing they can think of. And as a professional economist, I'm kind of amazed. During World War II, we didn't have an inflation because we stopped it by means of rationing. In 1971, Republican President Nixon stopped an inflation by means of a price wage uh, freeze that he imposed. And it, right now, as we're talking, utility commissions in every one of the 50 states, insurance commissions in most of the states, are regularly organized as public agencies that either do or do not approve of a capitalist who raises prices. If you don't get the commission's approval, you can't raise the price of water or electricity or any of the other public utilities. And likewise, the insurance company cannot raise the price of the premiums we pay. So we have experience with, we work with ways of controlling prices, and the bizarre right-wing shift of our government means that these things are never even discussed. It kind of reminds me of the last couple years and the, and the Great Recession of 2008 and 9, where the successful government program of the 1930s that had the federal government hiring people was not discussed as if it had never happened, as if it weren't an available policy tool. Every measure, including doing nothing, has its strengths and its weaknesses. An honest society puts them on the table, assesses them, and makes a choice. We're not doing that, and instead, we're engaging in these empty blame games. I've, I've seen three inflations in my life. I mean, the first I didn't see, I was a little little tiny kid, but um, after World War II, yes, we, we restrained inflation. 
I'm not sure that the, the rationing was to restrain inflation. I think it was to, to equally, ec equitably distribute what small supplies we had of butter and meat and milk and, and uh, uh, you know, nylon, ladies' nylons and things during the war. Um, but there was an inflation after World War II that bounced back after Nixon's wage and price controls stopped and, and his efforts to control prices on gasoline. And, you know, you remember this. Um, I, we were living in Detroit at the time. I, I remember when the truckers went on strike and, you know, for three days there was no food in the supermarkets. And we had literally mile-long lines at the gas uh, pumps. Uh, where people were killing each other in Detroit over this. And when he ended all that, boom, there was inflation that lasted about eight or ten years and, and took down the presidencies of both Jerry, Jerry Ford and Jimmy Carter. So that inflation came even after the wage and price controls were done. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So it seems like, you know, it, it's like trying to compress air. I mean, it's eventually going to reinflate. It's a, it's or squeezing a balloon. It's going to pop out somewhere else. Well, again, I, I would argue with you a little bit. Please. Every, every raising of interest rates that you can show had its sometimes success and sometimes, as you put it, it came bounding back if the underlying problems were not resolved. We're talking about policies that are trying to damp it. In World War II, the rationing was crucial because you had a cut in supply because all of our resources, our huge portion, went into the war effort. And so consumer goods were produced in much smaller quantity and the demand was there, but the supply had been reduced. If we had allowed the market to work, we would have had an inflation right. to beat the band. And, and yeah. Roosevelt said, I can't let an inflation happen because we'll have poor people furious at the rich who get the scarce goods. We won't have unity and we're fighting a war on two fronts. We have to have a unified people. So to avoid the inflation, we are going to institute the rationing. And the same thing worked in terms of Nixon. It stopped the inflation. It was a 90-day program when he declared it. They extended it a while. Then there was so much anger and bitterness because capitalist employers, the people who set the prices in our society, wanted the freedom that they had had to raise prices when they could. And so they worked to undermine uh, the continuation of the program. But we don't know if he had kept it, how well it would have lasted longer. But the problem that it may come back, that has to do with the underlying factors that are at play, that are, again, many, some under the control of the government, many not under the control. So, so let's let's speak to that, because every one of these inflations was the result of an imbalance between supply and demand. Yes. Every single one of them. And you know, if supply diminishes, demand increases, or both, and you have inflation. 
And that's clearly what we have right now. You've got a demand increase as a result of the end of COVID. You've got a supply decrease as a result of China not shipping goods. You've got a supply decrease as a result of the deal that Trump cut with the Saudis on oil and the war in Ukraine. All of these things are supply-demand problems. Once those supply-demand problems are resolved, as happened in 1947, 48, 49 in the United States after World War II, as happened in 1974, 5, 6, 7, uh, 8 in the United States. It looks to me like it takes somewhere between three and seven years for inflation to flush itself out of the economy as a consequence of the rebalancing of supply and demand. And, and it, it, I mean, I'm not an economist, but it looks to me like that's almost a natural process whether you raise interest rates or not. I mean, Paul Volcker gets all this credit for jacking interest rates up to 20% and destroying Jimmy Carter's presidency. But I, I'm wondering, did it do anything for inflation? Isn't it just a matter of waiting a couple of years and it goes away? Well, you know, that's the ancient de debate in economics. If you wait four to seven years to solve a problem, you're running the risk and John Maynard Keynes was the greatest exponent of this. You wait four to seven years, you run the risk that the people who suffer the most across that period get tired of waiting and turn against the system as a whole. The whole point of government intervention, as Keynes uh, wanted it, was to avoid that outcome. So then you Keynes get like Hitler, capitalism. who was he responding to the inflation in Germany. Hitler came along and said, I'll solve the inflation problem. Exactly, that's your risk. You better be very, very careful. If you indulge the capitalist system, if you do not get in there and balance supply and demand. So, so it, forgive my interruptions, but we only have 40 seconds. So is it that what we're doing is all placebo stuff, but it's necessary political placebo stuff to, to prevent the emergence of fascism? I think what we're doing is hoping that somehow we can get it to be shorter, not four to seven years, maybe only one or two, and that will allow us to slither through without doing the massive intervention that our ideology makes us afraid to consider. Very dangerous kind of gambling with the instabilities of capitalism and the risk that we gamble wrong and have the horrible outcome ought to make people think and debate about this much more than they're doing. Amen. And thank you for an in-depth conversation about this. I'm very appreciative. Professor Richard Wolf, thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, great talking with you. Uh, amazing stuff. Stick around here on the place where smart people get their news. Defending America from the weapons of mass deception. We'll be back with your calls. Abortion, the Supreme Court, Mark Meadows, the Republican Party. Okay, let's pick up your phone calls here and, and uh, see what's on your mind today. Larry in Palm City, Florida. Hey, Larry, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Hi, Tom. I wanted to get your take on this women's uh, health act. And my concern is uh, the issue of messaging. I thought it was a great idea at first, and now I hear that the Republican pushback is that the bill itself goes way beyond, uh, way beyond the dictates of Roe. And if that's the case, uh, this could be something uh, that will backfire on it. So what's your take on that? I don't know, Larry. I'm not familiar with the details of the bill, so I can't speak to that. 
Yeah, neither am I. But yeah, I'm so distressed over the years with the level of the quality of democratic messaging. Uh, it, it, something like this. Would well, I would say, regardless of what it says, uh, it, a I think they knew it was set up to fail. It was. It's more of a statement. But b I don't really care if the Republicans are saying it goes way beyond Roe. I, you know, frankly, I think we need something that goes beyond Roe. Women don't have access to health care in many of the states in the United States. You've got several red states where there's literally not a single abortion clinic in the state. And now you've got, you know, multiple states like Texas where the, the clinics that are in those states are no longer operating and or at least no, no longer operating the way they were. So, you know, if the Republicans are pissed off about this, screw them, is, is, is my opinion, Larry, frankly. By the way, the, uh, the writing yesterday, Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre Jean is absolutely one of my favorite progressives. You've heard me talk about her many, many times on this program. She understands progressive issues in ways that most people don't. I just think she's just like one of the brightest people on the political scene these days. And she's going to be Biden's new press secretary. So, of course... <laughs> Over at the writing there, you know, they're, they're listing all these right-wing websites and what they're saying about the news of the day. And, and this is over at WorldNet Daily. So-called black folks are infamous for their complaints and fallacious accusations of how they are treated in America. These people should kiss the ground of America and thank their African slave trappers because if it weren't for the indigenous African slave traders, these complaints would amount to nothing today. Honest to God, that was over at WorldNet Daily. This, this is... This is the stuff that passes for news in the conservative ecosystem, as it were. This is, another, this is from uh, the National Conservative. Unvaxxed have the lowest positivity test rate at Walgreens. Right. And none of that is as bizarre as this from Donald Trump. This, uh, you know, it, it, the hits just keep coming as these tell-all books are coming out. This is the most recent one. Donald Trump, in his first year in office, was noticing that, hey, there's an increase in hurricanes, the destructiveness and the frequency of the hurricanes in the United States. It must be that China has a hurricane gun and they're sending them to us. Donald Trump confided to his cabinet and asked his military people, can we bomb China in retaliation? Is this an act of war? Not making this up. Rolling Stone has a whole long story about it that went up on May 10th. It's titled Hurricane Gun. Trump asked if China was launching storms at the U.S. and whether the U.S. could bomb China in retaliation. And this guy was president of the United States for four years, and about a third of America wants him to do it again. What does that say to us? It's, it's just breathtaking. Anyhow, covered a lot of territory today. There's a lot to talk about. I did want to update you. Uh, somebody called a little, and I'll pick up your calls in just a second, so if you're on hold, just hang on. But a caller earlier was echoing the right-wing uh, sentiments, actually, uh, essentially, the, the Republican excuse for voting against the bill. And he said, this bill goes beyond just reversing Roe v. Wade. And the Republicans are, you know, all frothed up about that. And he's right. It does go beyond Roe v. Wade, reversing Roe v. Wade. It says you cannot pass a state law forbidding women from getting telemedicine. Now, this is, this is a big deal. A lot of these states, I mean, Missouri is talking about prosecuting women who flee the state. 
But uh, multiple other states are talking about, okay, we want to stop these abortion pills from coming into the state. Now, they have to be prescribed by a physician. There's no physician in the state who can do it because it's against the law. So women are going online and doing Zoom calls with doctors from California or New York, from states where it is legal, and then they mail them the pills. Well, you've got states that are now planning to outlaw that, to say, no, women, you may not go online and get your, get your abortion pills. Can't do it. So this bill in the United States Senate would say, no, states, you can't do that. You may not do that. It would also forbid states from outlawing those abortion pills themselves. It would also forbid states from having waiting periods for abortions. You know, I've often thought that there's sort of an overlap here between abortion laws and gun laws, right? If it was as hard to get a gun as it is to get an abortion, America would be a very different place in terms of, of the, the homicide rates that we have and the accidental gun deaths and, and uh, you know, the thousands of dead children every year. If you had to show up at the gun store and then, you know, have a good physical exam to determine that you actually, you know, are capable of handling a gun and pass a, a written exam of some sort and, uh, I don't know, maybe have a colonoscopy, have something shoved up inside you. Um, and then you had to come back three days later and there could only be one gun store in the entire state, maybe two at the most. And then you had to register with the, with the state to do, you know, if, if basically you had to do everything you had to do to get an abortion to get a gun, America could be a much better place. But they're not even suggesting all those things. You know, it, it, this bill is, I think, frankly, common sense. But because it has these provisions that will prevent red states from locking down women, in other words, it will legalize abortion across the United States. Republicans are saying, well, we're not going to vote for that. I, I think it's pretty important for us to understand exactly what's going on here. Anthony in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Hey, Anthony, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I, you know what I was wondering about? Maybe you could ask one of your uh, experts that comes on uh, sometime in the future. Uh, the, you know, the, I, I was curious about the, the, the feasibility of enforcing criminal laws against abortion in a jury trial. In other words, I, I would suspect that it would be difficult for them, uh, for a, a, and maybe I'm being optimistic, to find 12 people who could, would convict a woman, especially if you're talking about penalties for that you know include life in prison and things of that nature I, and, and secondly can they ask can they then ask a prospective juror are you are you pro-choice and keep them out of the jury for that reason i'm not that an attorney anthony but my understanding is that if a juror believes that a raw that a law it shouldn't be that law if a, that a, a law is wrong that juror is typically instantly excluded from the jury pool. So I'm guessing that would be a question. So they would end up with nothing but you know, a hanging jury. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting question. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting question. Anthony, thank you for the call. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Thanks so much for being with us today. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It does require all of us including you. Make sure your voter registration is up to date. There's great organizations you can hook up with. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you.
You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 